The brothers wish. The brothers wish, brothers wish. The brothers wish. The brothers. You're now listening to Greg. Hey everybody, this is Greg with a solo brothers wish number. Uh, I would say 146 and a half. I'm not really going to count this as a full episode. This is going to be more just uh, me talking to the camera. I wasn't, unfortunately, able to get uh, anybody else on here last minute. I'm sure it was procrastination on my part, partially, but didn't line anybody up. And things are getting kind of wild, so I'm not going to be able to do a makeup session for a little bit. So I thought in lieu of just completely skipping, I would do the thing that everybody hates, and it's just me talking to the camera, communicating with you guys directly, the fans. <laughs> but uh, having said that, uh, we have uh, no new patrons. Actually, we do have a new patron. They were a uh, $1 subscriber, so I'll still give them a shout out. Let's see. It is Kyle Wood. So thank you, Kyle Wood, for going to patreon.com forward slash the brothers wisp, chucking us a couple of bones or a bone, whatever it happens to be, and uh, supporting us. So let's see, we are brought to you by Sonar, a scalable, intuitive, and comprehensive ISP billing and operational support system. Learn more at sonar.software, as well as towercoverage.com is your RF propagation system to empower your network, real-time data metrics, enable your coverage area, reaching your customer base, and more. The industry's best RF propagation mapping system allows website integration for customer sign-up and pre-qualification. This is data that you can use to scientifically plan your expansion to help your WISP succeed, get a free trial today at towercoverage.com. So what do I have to uh, to talk to you fine folks about today? <clears throat> One was data center cross-connects. So I'm sure most of you know that I did the data center dance for quite a number of years uh, in and out of those uh, places. Not only the one that I actually worked at, but you know, facilitating connections at other ones and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And so I have learned a few things over the years. Um, one, I know that uh, as far as cross-connects go, that's where a significant portion of pure profit comes for data centers. So they're usually pretty hard and fast about how much they're going to charge about cross-connects. That's because they know that's the butter zone, baby. <laughs> that's where they make a lot of their cash. And so I know for the first five-ish years for us operating uh, the first data center that I helped stand up, for whatever reason, they wouldn't let us do pre-patch, pre-cabling. That's where you run infrastructure from one place to the next. Like, um, you know, you'd run a bundle of like 24 CAT6s, right? And so that way, when somebody needed to cross-connect, which is um, data center lingo for you need a connection, a network connection from you to somebody else, we call that a cross-connect, right? You're getting a cross-connection over there. But uh, if you have a bunch of pre-patch in there, which is what we call it when you run a bunch of like, like bundled services, whether it's fiber or copper, um, or sometimes it could be coax. I mean, there were still some folks using DS3s. There's still occasionally some people using T1s, right? Which only really require a couple of wires or maybe four wires. At this point, I can't really remember. It all falls out. But uh, yeah, they weren't letting us run pre-patch for whatever reason. So that was kind of insanity. Um, Eventually, they came around and we were able to run those zone boxes. And so the original question came in, how long should it take to run a pre-patch? And the real answer should be a couple of days, right? Is reasonable, right? If for whatever reason, there's something going on today and they can't quite get to it, they absolutely should be able to tomorrow because generally <clears throat> it's an affair that takes about 30 minutes-ish, maybe 45 
at the top end whenever they're utilizing pre-patch because it's really not that complex a process. Generally, you'll have uh, data center suites, which is going to be a big giant room, or sometimes they call them pods, which are generally smaller rooms. Um, and inside those uh, suites or pods, there should be pre-patching and sometimes multiple sets of pre-patching. Generally, it's under the floor. So uh, in our data center, we had these enclosures that you would pop one of the floor tiles, right? It's like 20, 24 by 24, two foot square uh, tile. And uh, underneath there, you would actually be able to mount a box that would fit. Oh man, I would say it was probably about three inches below the top of the tile. <clears throat> And it would bolt to the struts that go down to the floor. And then it had a panel that with a little lock on it. So you could unlock it and then you pop open the panel and you could put uh, any number of copper or fiber uh, connections in there. So that way you could do a quick pre-patch, right? So if I need to run from pod A where one carrier is, or oftentimes carriers are relegated to specific rooms, they call them pop rooms, point of presence. So you'll have a P-pop for primary and an S-pop for secondary, right? So if you've got those pop rooms, or in some data centers, the carriers are spread all throughout the facility, which I actually kind of like a little bit better um, whenever you have them kind of mixed and matched. That way, if, I don't know, there's a, I don't know, a water leak or something, you know, it doesn't necessarily affect all the carriers in that one area or what have you. And then in some facilities, those PPOP rooms will have zero UPS, but they'll have a generator backup, right? It's like a dedicated one little generator over there, which again means if... Um, uh, a carrier goes in there, they have the onus of putting their own uh, UPS system in, right? And so say they're not maintaining the batteries very well, say the generator has a little hiccup, doesn't start immediately, you're going to lose those services, or say that um, carrier-specific generator has a failure, right? So a lot of suites, like data center suites, have the ability to be powered by one generator. And if that generator happens to fail, a second one will kind of power that entire suite. It'll kick in and take over, right? So you've got some redundancy there. Some people do, um, man, I am really going down a rabbit hole here. Some people will do uh, data center design where uh, every power room gets a different generator and you're fed from multiple power rooms, right? It all comes kind of, comes out in the wash generally. Um, but uh, I digress, right? So wherever the carrier happens to be, there should be some pre-patching very near them. So whenever you order a cross-connect from the carrier, whether it be copper or fiber, they should only have to run, I don't know, usually 50 foot or less. Usually it's like 20 foot of infrastructure to get from uh, whoever that carrier is to the pre-patch infrastructure. So really that's not very far. And then whenever you're you know near a customer in a suite or a pod, the pre-patch from them is generally within, you know, 40 feet or something like that. It's usually not very far. So it really allows data centers to, you know, bulk buy patch cables, whether they be copper or fiber, and they just have bags of them sitting in there. You order a cross connect, they're just going to go and rip open two bags, you know, label the cables and then run it to, you know, zone to carrier and then zone to customer. So it really shouldn't take very long. I had somebody say that it took them up to two weeks to get one in there. And my thinking is, Perhaps they had just exhausted the pre-patch infrastructure and uh, they had already ordered some additional. It just hadn't been installed yet. So they're waiting on installation. To me, that makes sense because we've seen that before. But really, the data center should be heading that stuff off of the pass, right? Whenever they get to like 95% uh, utilization on one of those zone areas, they should be already installing some additional pre-patch infrastructure in there. Um, and really... 
<laughs> it's interesting the prices people charge for that stuff. So I know um, some data centers for like a copper cross connect, they'll be like 50 bucks. And for a fiber one, they'll be like 150 bucks, right? There's that disparity in price because they assume that you're going to be able to get more capacity out of a fiber. So therefore they should charge more. Some people will say, well, it costs us more to put the fiber in, but I think mm, pretty much gone are the days where that really holds true. It doesn't really feel to me like there's that big uh, a difference in pricing. And honestly, you know, if I'm running a bundle of, of cat six infrastructure, it's going to be pretty sizable. It's going to be the size of a Coke can, you know, usually, uh, whereas I can get, um, you know, 10 times that number of fibers in something the size of a Sharpie. And so it's so much easier to run. The prices have really come down on that stuff. It's honestly just an excuse to make money, right? So they'll say, well, we charge these monthly rates so that we can recoup the cost of putting that infrastructure in. To be honest, it probably takes them about three days of the cross connects they charge on that stuff to recoup the cost. And then the rest of it's pure profit. So um, I would say if you're ever negotiating with a data center group, especially when you're first moving in, try and negotiate a bunch of cross connects in. See if they'll throw some in. They usually don't like to, right? Because they, they make so much uh, bank off of that, right? That's delicious gravy for them. They eat that up. Uh, but oftentimes you can get maybe one or two thrown in for free. Um, and, uh, that can be extremely useful. So I know I've negotiated that before on a couple of different data center deals that I go in on. So look out for that kind of thing, as well as whenever you're going into a data center, if you're worried about cross connect costs, talk to other people that are in that data center, see what they're getting charged. Right. Because, uh, as we like to say, everything's negotiable. So bigger guys generally get bigger rates. But uh, also something I've done before is if a specific carrier gets really good rates on cross connects, uh, a lot of times you can just order the cross connect through them and have them roll that into your bill, right? So you might be able to save a hundred bucks a month by having them order the cross connect and just roll it into your normal bill. Because a lot of times those guys, they're doing so many connections, they'll get good deals on that stuff. So that's another little tip to kind of look out for. And again, keep in mind that if you're doing a gig or less of throughput and you really know that's all you're ever going to do to this carrier or this connection, what it happens to be, see if you can go copper because it can usually save you, you know, I don't know, a hundred bucks a month, right? 50 versus 150. That's, that's going to start adding up. So, you know, just take a look at that stuff. But then again, if you go that route and you are doing a full gig, you're tapped out on that copper infrastructure. You know, you're not going to be able to do more than that through that cross connect. And sometimes data centers aren't uh, super keen to do copper cross connects. It really just depends on where you're at uh, because a lot of them, their suites are really far apart or they are a, a great distance away from the PPOPs. So they don't want to stretch copper infrastructure in between the two, or it's just distance wise, it's not feasible for them, right? So that's not always an option. Um, but uh, single mode, can't go wrong with single mode. It's just a lot of times they can charge a little bit more. So that's my rant on cross connects. I suppose I probably exhausted just about uh, anything anybody would be curious about on those. Uh, let's see, what else did I run into in the last week and a half, maybe two weeks? We had uh, in our data center in one of the labs I run, we have some CRS 317s, I believe, some microtics, some core switches. It's the fiber boys in there, which I love the form factor. I love how little power they use. They have redundant 
uh, power supplies in there, right? It's all 10 gig optics and it's an amazing price. Only I've had issues with them on multiple occasions. So uh, I haven't been shy about that. In one occasion with my CRS317s going to the CRS326s, I was getting, was it the interface flapping? or CRC errors. It was something akin to that. And it was just, they were going ham and it just would not stop. And uh, I saw a lot of chatter about that specific uh, type of issue on the forums and it was basically crickets. So I ended up having to pull that piece of kit and I put in a Nexus 3064 and it, my problems immediately went away. And I haven't looked back. Uh, subsequently, I have replaced a lot of those optics. I've gone to industrials now. And uh, I haven't had any problems since, so thanks Nick A for that. Uh, but this uh, 317 is in a different environment, it's just aggregating servers. And we noticed that the TX drops were going through the roof on our infrastructure. It was just going crazy. We were a little bit behind on updates, but usually on switches, right, that just aren't really accessible by anything. You know, you can be a little bit more lackadaisical on that stuff. And also it's aggregating our um, our VMware cluster as well as the SAN that they're all connecting to. So we've only got one in there. <clears throat> the MC lags, uh, multi-chassis link aggregation doesn't exist yet between multiple 317s on a uh, standard train, right? It's in the, the beta stuff and I'm just too risk averse to, to put two in there and, and run beta code on it. Although I'm getting closer to it. I don't know. We'll see. Either I'm going to do the 317s with MC lag or I'm just going to throw in a couple of Nexus 3064s. I know if I put in the Nexus stuff though, I never have to think about it. And they do their version, Cisco's version of MC lag. It's like a multi-ether channel, right? Uh, because they, you know, they have their own nomenclature for it. They can't use the industry standard stuff. So their version is called ether channel. And so you could do an LACP trunk between the two switches and it looks like you're just going to a single switch, which would be great. But we were getting bonkers bananas uh, transmit drops on those interfaces. Uh, so much so that I think we ended up losing connection to the, uh, to the NAS, our network attached storage, right? That everybody, uh, everybody, all of the, uh, the VM hosts were connecting to for their storage on the back end. So we ended up uh, upgrading it, and then when it rebooted, it looked like most of the TX drops to the individual host machines stopped, but we were still incrementing TX drops to the uh, NAS, but not nearly so bad. Uh, I think it's manageable for the time being, so we haven't quite figured out if we're going to rip and replace those or what. But what really got me is just the lack of troubleshooting on these things. Right when it was really going bonkers, we wanted to, you know, like do a torch or uh, a standard capture of some si some kind. And um, uh, really, if you try and do like a torch on the interface, you're going to see nothing. That's because it's all running in the uh, switching ASICs, right? I mean, you can turn that off, but you're going to kill your device, right? Everything's going to have to bridge the CPU. It's going to kill that that small switch. Um, so you're kind of stuck in this catch 22, right? I want to see what's going on on the port. Maybe I can help figure out what's going on. Uh, the logging, right? Like if we're dropping packets like crazy, I would expect to see something in the log. I mean, you know, cause it's going out all interfaces, but you know, there's nothing in there. And I'm, I'm sure there's some purists on here that would argue that uh, you're not going to see everything in the log. Um, 
I would love to do some kind of a packet capture. Here's the trick. I know we can mirror a port, so we could have mirrored a port to um, another interface on that switch. And mirroring basically means just take everything that you're egressing or ingressing out of, uh, say, port 10, copy and send that out to port 5. And then I can put a, um, a laptop or something on port 5 and I can capture that traffic and thereby figuring out what's going on. The only trick is this switch is at a data center and, uh, you know, say it's a thousand miles from me. Right? That's not practical. I can't just pop in there and do that. Um, whereas most of the major manufacturers, I can actually get some um, understanding. I can do like a debug on that interface. Uh, you know, if it's like a Cisco device, or I can do packet captures on the more modern uh, switches, and I can take a look and see what's going on, or I can enable some additional debugging. Whereas on the MicroTix, once it hits that switching ASIC, it really feels like it's just going into some kind of black box, some kind of mysterious black hole from which information never returns. And that frustrates me. I, I hate seeing an issue and really not having a way to practically understand what's going on. So that's one of the things that really annoys me sometimes about these 317 specifically. These are the ones I've been having problems with. And I know there's a lot of people that love them and haven't had any issues. I don't know why, why I have... Uh, uh, just had such uh, poor luck with that specific switch model. The three seventy, the three twenty sixes. I love those things. I love them to death. They're they're terrific. They're hardy. Um, I'm getting ready to uh, if this project, this additional project goes through, I'm gonna throw another twenty something of those jokers out there, and I'm sure they're gonna truck along uh, really great for me. But in that project again, three seventeen. I would have loved to use that, but I'm specking the Nexus thirty sixty four. Because it's just it's a tank and it works. It's big. It's loud. Um, it uses more power than the 317. But I mean, to me, reliability, especially for something that's two and a half hours away from me, really trumps the uh, cost efficiency of the 317. You know, I, I need to know this thing is going to work. And so, I'm not sure if they could do it or how they could do it. Right? I'm not an engineer, and I obviously don't understand the intricacies of these uh, switching ASICs and what they can do with it. But man, I would love to be able to really troubleshoot what's going on inside of the device to understand, right? Like if it's, is it something in my infrastructure that's having problems? Cause you know, let me know, I will fix it. Right. When it's like something that's completely out of my hands and it's this black box, I just feel helpless, which one uh, scares me. Nobody wants to feel helpless. Right. And then two, it's a uh, customer experience problem, right? Like this one was just in our lab as opposed to at one of my properties. Um, but if I'm the one who suggested this equipment, now it's on me, right? I vouch for this equipment. I'm losing face over this. And I have no recourse to say, well, this is what the problem is. It's like, I'm not really sure. So um, in my mind, I would rather rip and replace uh, just so I know I've got those tools. It's probably just me. But, uh, uh, that's just something forward on the front of my mind. Something else with those switches, say like the 326s, um, again, I love those things to death and I use them a lot, but I was thinking about uh, backups. And one of the interesting things is I do a lot of um, 
configuration inside. Well, I don't know about a lot. I do like port isolation and things like that. So port isolation is the ability to um, say I've got a 24 port switch with two 10 gig uplinks. I can on all those 24 ports say they're all going to the same access VLAN. So theoretically, everybody would be on the same VLAN. I can put them, I can set them as isolated ports so that the person on um, port one can't communicate with a person on port two, even though they're on the same layer two network, same subnet, they're pulling IPs in the same range, the switch will prevent them from communicating. So I can make sure that customers in, say, one of my apartment complexes can't start messing with each other, which is exactly what I want. I want them to just be able to affect devices, you know, inside their apartment, right? I want to be able to get to their Chromecast and their ring doorbell and all these things. I just don't want them to start messing with their neighbor's stuff. Uh, so it allows me to do that. And then I can set the uh, trunk ports, you know, the 10 gig ports. I can set them as uh, trusted ports and Bob's your uncle, everything's great, right? Everything works. The only problem is when I do a uh, system export, right? So if I've written a script and I'm going in there and I'm doing that, or I uh, go into the command line, I type export file and I make it a file and I drag and drop it off. All of those uh, switch interfaces. So like in Winbox or in the CLI, you have to go into like the interface, the switch interface, and you're making changes in there. Anything I put in there, whenever I do the export commands, it doesn't spit that out. It's like I can even go in the CLI, I can go to that specific place where I just typed in the commands and I can tap export and it doesn't, it's not spitting that information back out. Right. So I can pre-configure that in my configuration scripts. And when I put in the CLI, it goes great. It's just when I'm doing an export, it's not there. It's like it never happened, um, which is not ideal. Uh, so supposedly what I can do is I can do the binary based backup, right? So if I go to the file menu and I hit the backup button, it creates this compressed binary and, uh, you know, it'll have all that information in there. And as Thomas pointed out, you know, it'll have like user account backups and other things like that. Whenever you do an export, it doesn't export that information, you know, or uh, I think keys and various things like that don't get exported. Uh, but whenever you do the binary backup, it can back all that stuff up. But it apparently will also back up um, that switch configuration. So it's like you're you apparently have some of that. Um, I'm, I may be talking out of my butt on the binary one, picking up the switch stuff, but that's to me a glaring issue on these um, CRSs. Like if you're, if it's a, a knob you can turn and tweak and it's a configuration change you can make, whenever you do an export of the config, should be in there. You know what I mean? Like uh, sometimes uh, imagine you're a consultant and um, you know, you're, your customer can't give you direct access to the equipment, so they send you an export. Well, if there's things that are just wholly missing from in here, I may not even think to ask, well, of course these things can't communicate because there's port isolation right here, or you've misconfigured the port isolation, or you know any number of things that are accessible in that switch menu aren't there for me to be able to see, right? Or um, say you're in a modern networking environment where you've got Unimus or your backup scripts or whatever it is, uh, doing all of your nightly backups and you lose a device and you try and do the restore, well, portions of your configuration aren't there. That's a problem to me. And I know if this isn't Mike's rant corner, so I need to get off my high horse on this one, but it's definitely an issue. And I am not a huge fan of that. So uh, let's see. I've ranted for about 20 minutes now. I guess I'll follow up with one other thing. 
Um, I did go ahead and spit this episode out with just me because, again, I'm going to be gone for a little while. I'm going to be about to be doing a decent bit of travel. And so I was thinking about travel essentials. I tried to f- travel. I tried to fly. A friend of mine passed away, and uh, I was flying to his funeral. Well, the uh, flight got delayed and then bumped, and then uh, I was supposed to fly out the next morning, but it would have made me uh, late for the funeral. So guess who got to just immediately jump in their car and then <laughs> drive 11 hours? to get to Memphis. That's right. It was me. And so, um, I was thinking of travel essentials other than having your car and being ready to drive. Um, what are some things that I would get? And so last time I actually took a couple of these fruit bars. Uh, I can't remember what they're called, but they're like, it's just fruit. And they like, I don't know, like kind of dehydrate a little bit. They're still sort of moist and chewy and they like compress them down into bar form. And I stuck a couple of those in my bag and man, did that bail me out when we were um, heading to the funeral. Uh, I wasn't able to get breakfast. And so I'm sitting there in the the parking lot and uh, I had that sitting in my car. So I pulled it out and ate it. And uh, man, that, um, that floated me for the hour and a half before I could eat. I think I would have fell over there. Um, in the interim. So man, I was thinking I'm going to continue to travel. I know they made them through security. Like I've always been apprehensive to like take food with me through the airport. I'm always so weird about, you know, like, are they going to freak out and take everything from me or whatever? But I am definitely from now on going to be traveling with those little uh, compressed fruit bars. I think that's a, a good lifesaver to have in your, uh, your travel essentials. So that's now part of my travel essentials. So I guess I'll have those. I'll have some, uh, disinfectant i guess now travel essentials are several masks i'm gonna uh, figure i'll need um i get the what do they call them they're like n94 fish style i think and so they're really cool um before we had the n95 duck bills um, but whenever i would talk my beard would grab it and it would eventually drag it off my face it was really annoying and so these fish style they kind of cover um horizontally your mouth and they have another horizontal strip at the top and another horizontal strip at the bottom and they kind of uh, move with your mouth so uh, as I talk they just sort of stay in place so those are terrific so um, they're also fairly affordable so I'm just going to travel with those from now I'm going to probably get double what I think I need um, trapped in that plane I'm sure I'll I'll wear one there (laughs) on the flight and then when I get there uh, to my destination I'll throw that one away and then I'll just wear one until I take the next flight and then chunk that and then the third flight. Uh, so I probably will go through three, maybe four, but I'm just so paranoid. I always want to have extras of everything. I think a light jacket always, even in the summer, I always travel. I go everywhere with a light jacket. When you're bald, you just, I don't know, you get cold. (laughs) That's my excuse. It's my lack of hair. Uh, I radiate heat too efficiently. That's my problem. No, I'm always, always seem to, to get cold when I'm in some place. So I'm always traveling one of those. And then this one is a working trip, so I'm going to have two microticks. I've got a, a map light, which I like to have my VPN client on, and then um, that way I can just plug it in and let it connect to the Wi-Fi and then automatically create all my tunnels and I don't have to worry about anything because I generally have multiple tunnels, right, to multiple pieces of equipment in different areas depending on what I want to get to. So I'm really just kind of emulating the experience that I have set up here at my desk. So whenever I travel, I can do that. And then also... Uh, my other uh, must-have travel accessory is a Microtik Hape C squared. I like it because it's powerful. It's got gig ports. It's got uh, five gigahertz uh, Wi-Fi and a two-four. So it's kind of got everything you sort of need. And I got it 
in a fairly compact form factor. I say that, <laughs> but uh, compact form factor, I have taken that. Well, the map light I like as well because I can just plug it into the USB port on my laptop and it'll boot up and, you know, it can power off of that and then I can, you know, do all my stuff without having to connect to anything. So I can just run it right off my laptop. But the Happy C squared, it's something you got to plug into the wall. I have uh, taken mine and I've, um, I like sticking things in things. It's always been my bag. Uh, so I have relocated mine into a VHS copy of uh, Jurassic Park. Uh, arguably one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> and I've got that in a blockbuster case. So it's like perfect. That's like my, if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna flex on somebody with my, uh, with my travel stuff, I'll, I'll use that router. But uh, I like it just because, you know, it's powerful. And I can do kind of anything with it at any point. Uh, so if I have to like do some Kung Fu at one of these workshops or whatever, I can, you know, make some weird stuff happen. So that's, it's cool to have on there. Um, also, what else do I have as a travel essential? I will put one change of clothes inside uh, my laptop bag. Although I'm not checking any baggage, uh, I'm going to be able to carry on because I'm, you know, just it's really light to travel. Just boom, 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 moving from place to place. So I guess that's going to be my essentials. And then one network, uh, or actually, I'm going to have two Ethernet cables. I've got my uh, pad, or not my pad. It's kind of like a a mole skin, although I think you're supposed to pronounce that mole skin or whatever. It's the the knockoff version of that. I like having those for like my uh, important bits. I know we're supposed to be in this digital world, but I'm a very um, analog person when it comes to taking notes and I uh, translate them into my uh, stuff here that I'm working with. I don't know that I have any other travel essentials other than I've got the uh, Samsung ear beans is what I call them. They look like kidney beans that you stick in your ears. I love those things. I know people are huge fans of the AirPods, uh, especially the pros that kind of bloop into your ear. I know my wife like literally can't hear anything. So I'm assuming those would be much better for transport. The ear beans, the ones I have don't really make a, a great sound. I know they have their version now that's got the, the in-ear um, like earbud style where they squidge in there with little silicone bits. I haven't tested those because I know my ear beans, I love them and they work well. Their noise canceling works pretty well. Of course, it doesn't cut everything out like the other ones do, but man, I sure can wear these a really long time. I think longer than I could uh, one of the regular earbud versions. I think it's just that much more comfortable. And then like when you're not in a really noisy environment, like an airplane, uh, they do a pretty good job of, you know, blocking out ambient sound. So yeah. I guess that would be my travel essential. I usually have a bunch of podcasts um, downloaded on my phone and ready to go. And I guess I'll do some of that. I know you can now do Netflix video. I'm a YouTube premium guy. You know, I'm one of those nerds. So I know you can download some videos there. But um, I don't know. I'm trying to be more uh, contemplative here lately. I've uh, been doing some D&D campaigns with my kid. Uh, you know, you do anything to connect to these kids these days, right? And so he's somehow found his way into D&D, so I'm writing a campaign. So I think I'll probably put some more time into that, most likely. So that way I will uh, not just go into video land. I will maybe do a little bit of focusing. I'm not traveling far on this one, but um, that's this coming week. But then the next week, I am going to be doing a decent bit of travel. So I'll probably be able to pull the laptop out and, and do some typing away on that one. Again, I don't want to fall into video land. That's traditionally where I go when I'm traveling and stuff like that. I'm traveling with somebody, but we're not going to be sitting next to each other on the plane, but we are on the same flights, staying at the same hotel. So 
Flights aren't that long, though. I don't know. It'll all work out. It'll all come out on the wash. I know whenever I travel, if at all possible, I'm going to get an Aunt Annie's pretzel in one of the uh, terminals. We're going to DFW, and I know there's like, those things are like, uh, <laughs> they're like roaches. They're everywhere. Uh, so hopefully I can crisscross and uh, grab one. That's always kind of like my little go-to treat when I'm in the airport. I'm curious what you guys uh, what you guys uh, do is your go-to treat. I'm sure everybody's kind of got one. I've seen some people get like Cinnabons whenever they're in there and they'll get like extra um, frosting. That's what that stuff is called. <laughs> An extra frosting on top. Uh, so I've seen folks that definitely do that. Or uh, caramel apples. Sometimes you can get a good one of those, like a Rocky Mountain Chocolate Factory or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I'd be curious to, to see what your uh, travel essentials are. I didn't have a lot of technical ones, just a laptop, a couple of routers. I mean, it's really, I could pretty much take over the world, I think, with that. Um, <laughs> but uh, I don't think I really require much else. Um, I guess I am out of things to talk about. 30 minutes, that's probably plenty for uh, listening to me squawk. So uh, thank you guys. Sorry again for doing this one solo. Sorry for the short notice uh, that I gave everybody else. Sometimes life gets in the way. I've been really covered up trying to prep for this stuff. So I'm doing a, a hackathon and then I've got a Summit Connect. And then after that, I got another one. So it's just a whole lot of stuff coming really fast. And then I'm not the only one helping with this workshop. And some of the other people waited to the very last second to test their stuff. So I'm having to like put in time here on the weekend as well, right here at the last minute. So it's just, it's been crazy. Anyway. Thank you guys. Um, I really appreciate all you listeners. I really appreciate the support. Um, I know there's a lot of lurkers that uh, that don't join the Slack, don't do any of that stuff. I love you guys too. Um, you know, just keep doing what you do. Keep putting that positivity out there. We'll talk to you soon. Any questions, comments, throw them our way. If there's anybody specific you want us to talk to, any specific piece of equipment that you want us to make Chad test, let us know. So thank you, and we'll see you next time. Let me click stop for Tommy C.